On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. I'll tell you, that's the political action campaign that needs to happen. Move, move is to North getting, Dakota. Getting Californians and New Yorkers to move Minnesotans too. to the flyover <laughs> states. Move to the flyover states. You'll change the world if you move to the flyover states. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will debate whether we should pay our student teachers, whether a large portion of teachers work second jobs during the summer, and our guest this week is rapper and educator Chad Harper. But let's talk about video games first. (laughs) We always have to begin with the... I'll tell you, uh, the second half of this podcast is super serious. It's very serious. And kind of, (laughs) I'm super pumped that we had Chad on the podcast. And the work that he's doing is amazing. And everybody should stick around and make sure you listen to that interview. But also just what we discussed is so grim. And (laughs) so I don't know of a way out of it. Like, and, And I know that smarter people than me have you know, some ideas about how do we get passes, but it looks, it to me, it just feels like it's perpetual and it's, it's disgusting. It's a bad, it's a bad part of, of, of what the United States continues to do. So you guys will have to continue to listen to this because yeah, way to, first, set, the ta- way yes. to set the table for that. Sorry. Glenn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but first let's talk about ultimate game pass on the Xbox. <laughs> so did you just subscribe to the Xbox version? Cause there's like an Xbox PC version or whatever. Yeah. So I, if everybody doesn't know this, Xbox has a service, uh, Xbox live. Uh, If you want to go ahead and play Xbox with someone else, uh, games, you can uh, purchase something called Xbox Live. And it's been in existence since Xbox, uh, the the original even, had it, had it. Um, And anyway, you you also get some free games each month, but they're not always very good. They have been, you know, on and off, but you do get a free game. Uh, I think now they even give two free games per month. Um, but now there's this service and it kind of makes me think, cause we've had this conversation before about subscription services mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Xbox has created something called the ultimate game pass. And this is the one that you're describing is the one that I purchased, which is you have, uh, a library, let's call it a Netflix library of Huge. games. Yes. For your Xbox, but because it's Microsoft, if you have a PC computer, which I do, there's another library, which some of them are crossover, so they're the same games, but some of them are exclusive just to the PC version yeah, that's right. of, of games that you can download and play on the on your PC computer, even while your kids, which my kids will be, playing on the Xbox in the other room. <laughs> Yeah. So I bought this Game Pass, and I think it's the the first three months. The reason why I did it is because the first three months, the whole summer, it's three dollars, or it's one dollar actually. They did it at one dollar. Sounds you like pay, a good you, deal. 
Yeah, and then and then after that, it's a $15 charge. So the question for me is going to be, is it going to be worth it? Like, is $15? Because if you guys don't know, people that are out there that don't play video games, um, don't just don't tell my wife this. Uh, games are super expensive nowadays. Unbelievably and, expensive in Canada. It, $80. In United, 80 bucks for a new game. It's $60 plus in the United States, $80 yeah. a Canadian. Yeah. And it's so that's a lot of money for one yeah. game. And if you buy something, that's what I was thinking about, which I've done before. You buy something, you actually don't end up playing a lot of it because it didn't, it had more hype, you know, than, or it just wasn't you, you know, you were just not into it. Then you have that, you know, you chucked out that money and you're like, ah, the story dang. of my video game library right there. <laughs> That's what he just did. So $15 yeah. per month may seem like a lot. And it is a lot. But if you think about $60 games and how many times you purchase those, not yeah. all of them are $60, but any any real uh, comes from the big studios. What do they call those, Mike? Like AAA studios or AAA, something? AAA, yeah. AAA studios. Basically big time games. Yeah. Even, even the big time sports games, when they come out, they're $60. Uh, and some of them even have other, you know, means of collecting money somewhere or another. Yeah, and microtransactions. Exactly. So, so they're yeah. pulling money from you at other times. So, if you could find a way to only spend fifteen dollars per month over, you know, a period of time, it seems like that's possible that they could be a good deal. And if you're a big uh, video game person, then you know that there's this company called Bethesda, and Microsoft. And Bethesda are now one or something, right, Mike? They bought them or something? Yeah. Something like that. Yes. And so all of those games and anything that Bethesda ends up developing is going to be part of this this uh, Ultimate Game Pass, supposedly. We're going to be able to get those games first and be able to play them. Plus, you can play all of their amazing games that they've developed in the past anytime you want. You can download any of the versions <laughs> This is like the best commercial for Xbox Game Pass. I don't Pass. know. They should be. I don't know. I don't think we should talk anymore about them unless they give us some money. So I'm. But, I'm looking at. I'm looking at my screen right now. First yeah, off, yeah. Um, this is the best deal in gaming, yeah. bar none. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the games that are on this are are some of the best games ever. In yes. fact, the you know I'm so I'm looking at. They just released um, Final Fantasy. 10 slash 10 uh sorry what is it called 10 and 10 2 yes. um for pc final fantasy 10 is my favorite final fantasy mm. um uh, if you you can actually pay a little add-on fee to actually also get the ea play subscription yeah um for another couple bucks and that gives you access to things like fifa 21 yeah uh need for speed um, all the Battlefield games, Madden, um, Crisis, uh, all the Dragon Age games, all the Dead Space games. Like, that is an awesome deal in and of itself. But yes. then the Bethesda Oof. thing is, like, game-changing because Bethesda, if you don't know, is Fallout. So all the Fallout games, all of the Elder Scrolls, Scrolls. games, which are, like, Tons like, of hours. like, Skyrim is generally considered if not the greatest game of all time, it's in the top five of almost every list. So there's sure. Skyrim, which is like thousands of hours of potential gameplay just mm -hmm. in that one game. Um, there's Doom, Dishonored. These are all Bethesda games. So there's, there's like, I mean, just 
insane <laughs> amounts of content in this in this package. Age of Empires I'm looking at, which yeah. is like my is like my OG game from when I was a teenager. Age of that Empires game 1. was awesome back in the day. It dude. was awesome. I kind of so, I kind of want to play it. I remember oh, I, that. Age, Age of Empires is dope, man. It's yeah. such a good game. Um, so is the Xbox Ultimate Game Pass worth it? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, actually, Flight Simulator, the newest Flight it's Simulator, on there, is on it as well. Yeah, uh, which is wild. I have. Um, what do I have installed uh, from it right now? I have Forza Motorsport Seven installed. Mm. I have Forza Horizon Four installed, and Dragon Quest Builders Two installed uh, from the from that collection from that from that subscription service. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty great, man. Yeah. Especially for chronic like game switchers and yeah. people who like will play for a couple days and then, and then stop else. and yeah. play something else variety streamers or mm-hmm. whatever so it's it's amazing um i'm playing a lot of final fantasy 14 the online the the mmo version of final fantasy yeah um and i've, I've been playing that a lot the last uh week or so and it's been a lot of fun I bet. um but uh yeah okay. uh you know we should we should actually <laughs> connect because <laughs> we can we can play together some of these other other For games sure. uh now that you have that and there's Heck tons yeah. of, there's tons of games there so all right um, so you guys know what we'll fun. be doing uh this summer i mean like they don't know already <laughs> i know <laughs> but you know whatever um so so we got a couple interesting conversation topics mm-hmm. um that have come up over the last week and this first one is is pretty interesting and it, it actually elicited a a really cool conversation in the uh, uh, the fabled on education Twitter DM room <laughs> um, that that you guys can't see, but is a just a um, r- frolicking great time of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an uh, a tweet from from Alice Alice Keeler. Uh, student teachers should be paid at, at at least enough to pay rent. You can't expect people to not be paid for a semester and think they can pay their bills. How many people just do not go into teaching because they cannot afford to do free student teaching? Mm. Solid point, Alice. That's, uh, what do you think? It's a great point. Um, we all brought different perspectives because we all, obviously, the, the group that we have is a different generational even group like me and you obviously were of the were of the same about same age range but we didn't go to school at the same time and, and not even close exactly and that's an interesting point too because when i was in school to become a teacher and when i student taught i was only 21 yeah uh so i was still you know whatever just barely yeah. coming through college you know barely uh after high school anyway I was thinking about this and thinking about the semester when I student taught and my situation and my perspective was definitely different than other people, you know, as yeah, we yeah. were doing it. And basically what it was, was I said, I couldn't have afforded then I didn't afford it. I got student loans and during student teaching, I paid for my tuition and my rent for my cruddy, uh, room that i rented from a friend (laughs) i rented a room in his house um with the money that i got from the uh student loan refund 
and that's the way I paid for that thing. And that's yeah, how that you semester went. Yeah, you had to go went, into catastrophic you know? amounts of debt to go so to school. So went into massive amounts of debt because yeah. then you wanted to be able to complete what you needed to complete. Uh, some other people had different situations as far as how, how it went. Yours was even different, right, Mike? Because yeah, you, you were—it was later in your life too. Yeah, I was in my early 30s when yes. I went back to school, and I worked, um, you yeah. know, 20 to 35 hours a week. Like during the during the holiday season, I was working 35, 40 hours a week, full time. Yeah, um, and during, especially during that Christmas break time, you know, I was working, you know, 10 hour days because um, I worked retail. And I, yes. so I worked, I worked between, at, at, especially at the end, my last two years of my bachelor or my last two years of my bachelor of arts and my, my one year of my bachelor of education. Remember in Ontario, mm. you, when I went to school, you had to go to school for five years to become a teacher, four years for an undergrad, and then one year for your bachelor of education. Now you actually have to do it for six Wow. Um, so you have to take your Bachelor of Education for two years now. So actually, this situation is even worse wow. uh, for people now than it was for me. But I worked almost full time um, and went to school um, and and was lucky, you know, that, that we lived with my in-laws, with, with Cheryl's parents. And Cheryl was teaching full time, um, you know, but we still, you know, you know, so that was the situation. Now, it's it's obvious that not everyone's the same not everyone's home situation is the same no. and and i i truly believe we are losing people because they can't afford yeah to go to school to become a teacher yeah that i mean that's got to be the truth it's got to be a reality um i guess the arguments there are some there are some solid arguments uh, going the other way, why you would not yeah. agree to this? I mean, the strongest one, I guess, is that you're 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 paying for school anyways, right? Like you were paying, you know, for your books and your sure. classes and and whatever, and and this is just you going somewhere else to go to school, you know. But you know, the counter argument, I guess, is that in a lot of those cases, it's not local anymore. You have to drive. Mm to the school that you're going to, you're, you're, you're spending money for gas. You're going every day, right? You yeah, have to pack yeah. a lunch. Like, like there's a lot of things that, you know, if you were on in a dorm and, or on a residence at the university that you were going to school at, you know, and you could just like roll out in your pajamas and, and go to sure. class, yes. you know, and you had a meal plan and That's you true. Know, all of this stuff, right? Exactly. And you weren't spending money on gas and all of that stuff. No. Um, you know, so this is a really complicated For sure. issue, you know, yeah. There are some states too. Uh, we found out our circumstance, my wife and I, our first jobs, we graduated from school in, uh, 1998 in, from Alamosa, Colorado in a, a, a state college called Adams State College. And we decided to move to California. I don't know why we just <laughs> and we got teaching jobs there and in California and I guess it's still the current system according to uh, Marcia uh, Carrillo who responded to Alice or Alice subtweeted her uh, there talked about that in California they hire what they call 50% interns and what it really means is this everybody if you don't know this uh, at least 
and our experience and that was a long time ago now um we went there and we already had done student teaching mike and in the united states when they have salary grids they pay uh there's basically steps and lanes so instead of getting paid on step one if you had done your student teaching you actually moved up to step two and they paid basically people who were still completing their student teaching as they worked because they could get a job they basically graduated let's call it in quotations graduated and they could work in the school district right as a live teacher get paid and then complete their student teaching at the same time so it was a it is a it it is an idea and i think it might be the the best way to go ahead and go go about this is basically make a step zero or a step one only student teachers basically start off at in their first semester they're still being observed by the college they're still doing some different things but they're actually hired um and then it, it would actually be a great mentorship program it's associated with both the school district and the university and it kind of as a team we're working together to build up this these uh these candidates and make them great teachers. And then the second semester, let's call it the second half of the year, they complete the year as a regular teacher. And then, you know, they, they go on and, and do that. I'm sure there's some obstacles to that because all of our states have to be different than each other because that's how we do it in the United States. We just have to, we all have to have our own licenses for each state. We can't just share a, you know, one license. Glenn, we, nothing you know. can be nationalized because that's com- communist. And you can't exactly. let, you can't, you can't let, let the, the commies, <laughs> can't let the commies take over the country. You need to take the power back, Glenn. You couldn't agree on a national teacher license because, yeah, that would be too. Uh, Socialism. Socialist, yes, yeah, socialistic. But in this case, I could see something like this really working out for a variety of things, both the universities it would work well for. Obviously, the student teachers could get paid right away. My God, those first paychecks, I was speaking to someone because um, you you know this, Mike. Again, you're kind of my age that when we got our first jobs, do you remember when we used to actually get physical paychecks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And anyway, those physical paychecks, it was like a big deal to take that bang thing to the bank. And the first times you were actually getting a any kind of significant amount of money, you were like, yeah. God, I'm rich. You know, like oh, you're yeah. like, oh, man. So, so funny related to that is <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, it hasn't been too long since I got a physical check. Really? Uh, because because at, uh, at my school that I taught at, they paid me once a month okay. at the end of the month by check. Uh, it was it was awful. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. But was really but what what was really funny is so at the um on the on the last day of school so the in June, um not only did we get our last month's pay yeah um but we got a bonus Ooh. so 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 we were we, we got it we got a bonus and it was it was fairly substantial. <laughs> Um, it was, so my final check, especially yeah. in my last couple of years when I was teaching yeah. was five figures, low, low Dang. five, low five figures. So, yeah, I mean, that makes that's sense. the kind of, that's what we're talking about. That's a you big know, check. going to the, it's like, you're shaking your hands when you're handing it to them and you're like, Oh my God, oh. <laughs> this amount of money. Yeah. No, I know it exactly what that's like. <laughs> hey, so, so listen, just so we're perfectly yeah. clear, the, the socialist in me, um says this this is my official position and that's that um no one should be denied 
any level of education mm. simply because they cannot afford it. Agreed. You know, we, we recognize that everyone has different skills and that everyone is capable of doing different things and at different levels. Not everyone is cut out to be a doctor no. or a lawyer or a surgeon or, a you know, an astronaut. But you should be fully capable. You should be fully eligible yes. to do anything that your skills equip you to do without the hindrance of finances stopping yes. you from doing that. That is my official position Good. on this. And so, you know, any way that makes that happen, um, you know, is, is good in my books. And if that means that we um, pay interns to, um, to, to be interns, then we should pay interns to be interns. If that is the only way it gets them through the door to become a teacher and, mm. you know, um, gives them that opportunity. So, yeah. Talking about pay and not okay. getting paid enough and people then at the, you know, when you got that final paycheck, you were like, huh, should I work during the summer? I think a lot of, a lot of teachers contemplate that decision, whether one or both spouses, you know, if they both are teachers, let's say would take on an extra job to go ahead and earn some money, you know, during the summer, we've talked about that on different topics, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Different opportunities that are that are out there and whatever might be. Um, Nicholas Ferroni was subtweeted by someone that's not one of my favorite people, Matt Ryan. Um, and he basically was subtweeting him about because Nicholas Ferroni sometimes puts on some things that he's been a wrong about some things. Some he people hate fully, him. He hasn't fully thought through the yes. process by which yes. a, a dude with a hundred thousand followers, yes. you know, does when you tweet something. That's all. <laughs> I, I and you know what I like. I like him, and I and I know that he makes mistakes. All of us, all of us do on social media. Sometimes he makes some huge mistakes, and sometimes he says some things that are come off really not well. Let's just say. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he wrote here, basically, his tweet was a reminder that most teachers don't have the summer off and it is not paid and it is not a paid vacation. Um, one part of that tweet for sure is 100% correct. It's not a paid vacation. We all know that as educators, and I hate to justify that. It's called we continue to get paid during the summer because, because the school district – actually earns the interest on the money that should be ours states though like california and some other school districts maybe even some other states have negotiated a 10-month paying period so that they can so that the teacher can decide what to do with that money and they can invest it and earn the interest on it versus the school district doing that basically it's just a matter of who gets to hold the money that is already ours we've earned the money it just distributed at us they're trickling it out for us you know, a little bit uh, each month, uh, sometimes two times a month to be able to go ahead and, and get us through the summer. But it's our money. He is right about that. Now, he says most teachers don't have the summer off. And this guy, Matt Ryan, he says this is factually incorrect. He says about 20% is the correct number. Here's my take on this. Whether it's 20% or most teachers or somewhere in between, which I think the number is probably somewhere in between those two. 
it sucks so bad that the profession it doesn't pay enough for someone to go ahead and have that time if they want to go ahead and have that time they earn the money throughout those you know the nine month period or the 10 month period and then this happens to be the way that the schedules work you know as far as the way that the calendars work as far as in schools it's just disgusting that that is the case and we've talked about it that in many states it is it's it may not be where matt ryan is actually at and he's trying to call out or where nicholas works i think he's in the new york city area i think he that he lives in uh, where people people maybe make quite a bit of money but it's also super expensive to live there just like california you could see a salary that's maybe close to six figures but my god six figures in california is is not that much you yeah know, you could a, barely you're like poverty level in san francisco yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like depending upon where you live it's it, it's not a lot you are it you're having to make hard decisions let's just let's just put it that way yeah. um so it does differ and we already know that in some states they just pay horribly and so there are teachers that are going out there and taking on second jobs like you just talked about mike whether it be in retail or in uh you know, uh, something else completely different outside of teaching. Or remember, we were talking about it just a few weeks ago, summer school. Many teachers take that on and be like, okay, I can do summer school or I can do this other things and then I can go ahead and, and, and earn that little bit more of money as we talked about to be able to pay the mortgages or the car payments or whatever else that you need to go ahead and need to go ahead and do or food, you know, be able to go ahead and do that. So, what do you think as far as the the summer school thing or the summer yeah. work thing? I, I mean, it's the, this guy in particular, this Matthew Ryan dude yes. just loves to argue like it's semantics yes. that he loves, loves to argue. He, he, he likes to get people going <laughs> with things that are factually incorrect. Yes. Like he's right. Good for you, Matthew. You're actually right. It is factually incorrect. You know, that most, because mo the key word there is most, right? Most yeah. teachers do not work multiple jobs. Good job, yeah. Matthew. You're, you're bang on. You nailed this tweet. Um, and I don't know, or frankly, you know, I'm not going to bother looking it up, but, but if it's 20%, yeah. um, you know, it's probably around that feels normal ish. Um, but you know, how much does a 10 year teacher in Minnesota make, for example, do you have a yeah. sense? Yeah. It, I would say probably average salary is in the, I'm going to say 45 to 50,000 range for is 10 the, years the, teaching is, or 10 year teacher. Yeah. 10 probably years that, teaching. How much say, have you made? How much would yeah, you make a year? About 50,000. Really? At, at oh, the most, that's a, that's a little bit at, less at, than what I was thinking. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. So, I, I mean, at the end of some salary grids, depending upon if you're if you live in uh, you know the Twin Cities area, sure, you you might make. I've seen some salary grids that maybe go in the 80s and then and maybe even in the 90s, but most of us that live in the rural areas, it's somewhere maxes out in the you know mid to high 70s, somewhere in uh, there. So um, an Ontario an Ontario yeah. teacher maxes out at just over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Uh, Ten years at at full grid, um, you know, by taking extra yes. courses and stuff maxes out at around a hundred and I think it's a hundred and two 
thousand dollars a yeah, year and most of our um, grids don't go beyond 10 years that's what i was so yeah your and bottom it's the is same 10. in ontario yeah. i think it's 10 in ontario as well yeah. but but here's the thing in florida yeah. you know the the great state terrible of there. florida <laughs> i love florida i don't um <laughs> 10 year teacher probably makes like Thirty-five, forty-five thousand dollars a year, yeah. barely a real salary. Mm. Um, and of, so, of course, if you're a Florida teacher, you know, in, in in one of these districts that pays you virtually nothing, of course, you need to go get a job in the summer. Have to because in some cases. You know, especially if you listen, if you're really good at car sales or uh, commission thing, you it's theoretically in two months, you can make almost as much as you make teaching the other 10 months of the year. I mean, um, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. So, you know, mm. Matthew Ryan loves semantics. Um, <laughs> and 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 this this tweet is right up his wheelhouse. Uh, so good job, dude. Um, but. You know, the fact is that any teacher that has to work a second job is an absolute crime. Mm. Um, you know, teachers are professionals. Teachers yes. um, go to school yes. the, uh, for a professional amount of time, similar to a lot of other professions that could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Agreed. Tr trades people who could start their own plumbing business and be millionaires. Um, because listen, if you want to make a ton of money, go do a trade for mm -hmm. God's sakes right now. Um, you know, teachers deserve to be paid, um, like Kings and Queens in schools should be palaces. You know, that I is like that. my opinion. <laughs> I like that a lot. And That's rant. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so with that. By the way, awesome segue going into this. We, mm. we you shouldn't. I guess the first rule of segues is to not talk about not the talk segues. About it. <laughs> but we, we break we break that rule yeah, all yeah. the time. Oh yeah, good good job. Um, and I will now segue to telling you that when we come back, we'll be talking to Chad Harper. So stay with us. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom. With our students, and as a collective to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest, known by the stage name The Brooklyn Globetrotter, is an American rapper, songwriter, businessman, educator and humanitarian he was born in cleveland ohio and has been a resident of brooklyn new york for over 20 years welcome to the podcast chad harper hello everyone how you doing how you doing chad i spent a few hours today going back through a lot of your content 
Uh, first things first, you've been doing this a long time. You've been at this for years. Uh, but I think that there's a thread of commonality in everything that I saw today. And that's that you're constantly trying to bring people together for a cause. Um, you know, I saw you doing dance lessons. I saw you hosting or producing community shows and community content, um, you know, concerts, working with kids and lately a project surrounding the issue of mass incarceration, which we're going to get to in a minute. So I, I guess my question is, you've been doing this for almost a decade, man. What drives you to keep doing work like this? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I've, you know, Hip Hop Saves Life started in 2006 and we really got moving uh, like 2012. Um, and since then, it's been nonstop. And I would say um, the driving force would have to be my grandmother. Um, you know, she passed a long time ago. Uh, but she, her house, which I lived in from third grade to ninth grade uh, with my parents, her house was like, the neighborhood community center. So she had daycare in the morning and she had daycare in the evening for all the parents in our on our street and in our neighborhood um, who had to work early or, or work late. So mm -hmm. my house was essentially like the hangout spot, the community mm -hmm. center. Nice. We played basketball, football, tag. I mean, every day there's a dozen to 15, maybe 20 kids at the house. And we, I, I, I just grew up in that communal environment. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, it was, it was great. It was, it was great to have like, you know, um, your house be the hangout spot every day, you know? Yeah. Um, so just that kind of sense of community that my, my, my grandmother brought to uh, our neighborhood, uh, you know, it's just rooted in me. You know, that's that's just what it is. Tell us more about the Hip Hop Saves Lives organization. Um, you said you've it, it started in 2006. I mean, that's that's 17 years going now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and tell us where are you at now with that? Well, we started initially, we were producing, so I was, I was actually volunteering for an organization called Charity Water, and they did these elaborate cocktail parties uh, in New York City to raise money for clean water wells in Africa. So I was volunteering for them, decided to use my hip hop skills to kind of write and record a song celebrating them as an organization, uh, as well as putting all the information that they would share with their you know, share with the attendees to their events to help them donate for clean water. And that was kind of the true birth uh, of Hip Hop Saves Lives. With that song, um, you know, we played it at events all across New York City. We went to Sundance Film Festival. We went to uh, produce events in Miami, and people just loved the song. And I remember being in Sundance, and we sold, like, a couple hundred copies of, of the CD, you know, in one night. And I was like, wow, hip hop is saving lives. Uh, and that's where the name came from. Um, after that, I was doing events in New York City, trying to raise money for water wells. Uh, that event production um, or concert kind of production kind of really wasn't my thing. So I kind of eventually ended up uh, creating a, a curriculum that was adopted into an after school program. And that's when Hip Hop Saves Lives really took off, educating kids about social issues through the works of humanitarians. Kind of like the same thing I did, the song I did for Charity Water. I wanted, you know, kids to do that for other humanitarians locally, statewide, nationally and internationally and get kids to 
had this experience of studying and understanding about, you know, great community leaders that, that benefit, uh, you know, the, the world and, and help make it a better place, but also rap and sing and dance about it uh, to celebrate it yeah. and kind of spread the word, you know? So that yeah. was the main kind of, you know, run of Hip Hop Stays Lives was teaching at schools, detention centers, a lot of detention centers in New York City, libraries, community centers, homeless teen shelters, which shouldn't actually be in the same sentence, but uh, it is. Um, yes. Uh, so uh, anywhere in New York City where kids were having a tough time, I got a phone call and uh, they wanted our services. So we imagine that after last summer and specifically the murder of George Floyd, you would have felt like it was time to go ahead and double down your efforts. And so how did his death affect you and specifically your work? I first, first I crafted a song called new Negro spiritual. Um, Old Negro spirituals were songs that, you know, black Americans sung during slavery, during Jim Crow to get them through the day, get them through the hard times. (laughs) And I kind of (laughs) needed, I kind of needed a song like that with, with the George Floyd situation. Um, so I crafted a song called New Negro Spiritual, and that was just kind of my introduction to a new project called I Am Black American, where it's basically researching, going through the 400 years of you know, African Americans being here in, in the States and kind of digging up a million and one different un, unsung heroes mm. and crafting songs and breathing life into their life, into their work, into their service. Um, into their messages uh so that's where i i I am now um that's that's the the new curriculum i am crafting songs for that myself right now i have about four songs um and then it's going to be on a master website and uh, i'm I'm launching a website called i am black american that that's in the works now but my goal is to market it towards teachers um yeah so we can have a much better experience with Black History Month and go beyond Black History Month. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. as of now, we are, you know, the Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and, you know, things like that. But there's so much more. And uh, so I am Black American. This curriculum was birthed out of uh, out of the George Floyd. Love that. Um, what do you enjoy the most about working with kids? Because it's obvious in your videos that you're working with kids that are little kids from you know grade four all the way through students that are in college and it seems like you have no limit to the terms of the kids you want to go ahead and reach so what do you enjoy most about working with with kids well you know i I explain to people that like hip-hop is the tool that i use to help educate the kids to get them in the classroom to get them to listen to the stories of these different humanitarians um but my main goal is to build kids self-esteem and that's what i enjoy most Hmm. Um, and giving these kids an opportunity to rap and dance and perform and write lyrics, um, it gives them uh, uh, a boost to their their creative sides. And you know, yeah. being creative on a regular basis in school and seeing yourself get better and better, and hearing your peers saying, "Wow, that was really good," and and seeing them grow and and, and progress. Um, in the arts has proven to spill over into the classroom. So um, yes. for me, it's it's to build their self confidence, to build their self esteem. Um, and once you know, there's there's a, 
a kid in Uganda who was a friend of mine, and he was a breakdancer, and he said, poverty to me is low self-esteem because with high self-esteem, you can achieve anything. Um, so that's my goal is to, is to build self-esteem in these kids. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about one of your, your latest projects working around the issue of mass incarceration. And, and if anyone has listened to this podcast for any extended period of time, uh, I, I think that this is a massive issue when it comes to education. It has huge connections to education and public education. Uh, we know, for example, that predominantly black districts in large cities aren't getting the same funding as suburban districts full of, you know, wealthy white people. Um, there's unbelievable funding inequality in U.S. public education. Uh, the end result, uh, as you would know, is that is that this turns into what we refer to as the school to prison pipeline. And the U.S. has the largest prison population in the world and a for-profit prison system that relies on mandatory minimums and this pipeline in order to continue. It's a business. Putting kids in jail is a business. And this, of course, is all rooted in systemic racism. So I guess the first part of this question is about the kids because I, I i think that this is the part that kills me the most is that i i think that this the way that this systemic racism plays out it actually absolutely destroys kids lives so and i know that you've seen this and 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 been around this firsthand so you know how does this mass incarceration impact kids lives you know, um, on so many levels. Uh, obviously, the first level is having parents incarcerated. Um, you know, with mass incarceration, uh, we have in the United States about 2.7 million um, children who have a parent in prison. That's a staggering yeah. number. That's like, I mean... It's bigger than some countries. 2.7 <laughs> million. You know, yeah. Um so, you know, and I've worked with kids who've had a parent in prison and their insecurity that they have around that issue, the abandonment uh, feeling that they have around that issue. Um, and then there's also studies that talk about the, the, the probability of that child following in their, in their parents' footsteps. Um, when I was teaching incarcerated kids, I remember talking to one kid and he said, my younger brother is locked up. I'm locked up, my older brother's locked up, and my dad's in jail. Um, and I and hearing these stories, you know, over and over again, I realized going to prison is, is almost like a family trait. Just like going to college is a family trait. Going to prison is a family trait. Mm -hmm. And you know, when if if your dad gets locked up at a young age and and you don't have that supervision and you have that kind of, you know, emotional you know, scars and depression over it. And it's, it's often that, that you repeat those mistakes, you know? Um, so for me, I wanted to see what I could do to try to break that cycle. Um, so we developed this thing, me and a friend of mine called BB fly, which is an, a hip hop apparel line. And what we want to do is work with kids who have a parent in prison. And through our research, we realized that the majority of these parents are between 100 and up to 500 miles away from their child. Yeah. 
And mm-hmm. if you're low income, traveling a couple hundred miles is really, really hard to do. Yeah. Virtually impossible. So a lot of these kids go two, three, four, five, six years, even more, without ever seeing their parent in prison, mom or dad. Um, so we wanted to kind of work to fill that void. And right now we're working to, to fund monthly trips for children in Brooklyn to visit their incarcerated parent. An effort to sustain that parent-child relationship um, and an effort for that child to not feel that huge void, the, the abandonment. Um, and also we feel if, if that relationship can be sustained, uh, they won't have the mindset of you know going out to the streets. They'll, they'll, they'll understand the impact from their parent being behind bars and consistently seeing that, even though it's kind of nurturing the relationship, but having to constantly go there and see their parent behind bars. I don't want to make that same mistake. I don't want to end up there, you know. Trying to break the cycle in a, right. in a bunch right. of different ways. Because this this has an effect on the family as a whole as well. And, you know, we know, it's, you know, and this year is the best example. This last year and a half or whatever. I mean, what right. is time these days? Um, but, you know, this last period of time during COVID where, you know, we've, re- we've really realized the impact that family, the family unit has on the education mm-hmm. of the kids. Um, and I mean, this happens in, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in my family, you know, and it's happening in a lot of people's families where people have to work different jobs and juggle their work while their kids are sitting on laptops at the kitchen table or whatever. And, you know, mass incarceration where, you know, one of the, you know, um, child rears is uh, in jail um, has a massive impact on the family unit and their education, does it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're dealing with that loss of finances, you're dealing with that loss of structure, and then you're dealing with the depression that comes with it of the child losing yeah. that parent. Um, so there's a lot of different factors in there. Um, you know, and kids, kids are embarrassed to, you know, to say, yeah, my mom is locked up and my dad's locked up. And so there comes that, you know, the kid kind of shuts down, doesn't communicate as much, doesn't, yeah. um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of factors that, that go into this mass incarceration. And there's a funny, you know, a, a statistic that I had read that if you're a black male and you don't graduate from high school in the United States, there's a 70% chance that you're going to end up spending some time in jail. So another, another <laughs> stag, like that's, that, that's a, another staggering number. Like yeah. that's just. It's astonishing. <laughs> Don't even know what to say. Like, I mean, it's it's an unbelievable statistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chad, how can our audience connect with you, either online, social media wise, or and can you guide us to your website to be able to go ahead and investigate further and learn more about what what you just finished uh, talking to us about? Right. So our our website is bbfly.live, which is .liv. Um, and yes, that, that is our, our new apparel line that's in response to mass incarceration. We are very lucky to have uh, some hip-hop celebrities that signed on board and wrote some rhymes yes. to help further the movement. Um, so I definitely want to shout out uh, DMC from Run DMC, the legendary awesome. group, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, he was actually the first celebrity to write the rhyme. So um, just getting him on board really got, got us going and gave us some um, – some some weight to to 
to to anchor us down and, and get moving amazing chad harper Thanks so much, man, for joining us. This was uh, eye-opening and uh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity, to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability, to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.